comes the dawning It's just a restless feeling By my side Early dawning Sunday morning It's just the wasted years So close Watch out, the world's behind you There's always someone around you who will call It's nothing at all Sunday morning And I'm falling Patrick Hollick, welcome to a new episode of The Love Show. Today's guest is a very special muse that I have certainly borrowed from and a lot of people I know have. Today's guest is Lisa Cooper. It's hard to define who Lisa Cooper is. I struggled trying to write something down or think about how to do the intro, but Lisa is just one of those phenomenons. I used to see her in New York City when I was a little kid and I always wanted to know who she was and what she was about. And the more I learned, it was just that she was an inspiration for a lot of people. She was an inspiration for great painters like uh, Keith Haring and Andy Warhol and Jean-Michel Basquiat. These were people that were just friends. And um, later she became a, a pretty profound fashion stylist, which, I mean, she probably doesn't want to talk about very much. I don't think we talk about it very much, um, you know, creating the likes of Rihanna and Beyonce. But that's background noise to how much time and how much world she's seen. In the episode, we talk a little bit about, you know, the new mobile culture and fads and, you know, these people that call themselves tastemakers and all that kind of stuff. It's pretty interesting to hear from her point of view, having seen so much. And it's also exciting always for me to get to talk to people that I've known for a very long time. And without fail, every time I learn something completely different or something that I didn't know. So without further ado, Lisa Cooper. Do you always do it here? Yeah. We say uh, somewhere somewhere in Bel Air. That's our saying. Okay. Where it is somewhere in Bel Air to you? It's definitely a man cave bachelor pad, that's for sure. Is it? It feels don't male? Don't you think? I don't know. For sure. But I like all the books. Where did you grow up at? I was born in the Bronx, grew up in New York and Long Island. Did you know Louie and those guys or no? Who? The kids that grew up with Shady with like the crazy dirt floor in the Bronx? 
I mean, I know Shady, but I don't know if I know Louie. Louie and them brought Shady down to, like, the Soho area. I guess they all knew each other from up there. They were really nice brothers, the Fontenez brothers. And they now they think they're all at FedEx or UPS. I have no idea. Shady, for me, was like, I knew him, and he lived already in that art building. So your family's from the Bronx? You guys are born and raised? Tell me about family and Bronx. I was adopted. Me and my brother were both adopted, and then my younger brother is from my adoptive parents. But, you know, there's a whole convoluted, there's a bunch of stuff going on. Who, who only knows? All I know is that there are a lot of, um, you know how family is. Every 15 years, a new brother, sister, father, mother would pop out. Um, I left. I did not have the best of times with my mother, basically, because she was a heavy drinker. Great job, career, but was drinking by five, wasted by nine. But I tried to leave many times, and then I had to do it legally. So, get emancipated, mm-hmm. or wow. Well, also the I think I think the seventies and eighties when you were super social and partying in the New York, that whole scene. It was there was a lot of good times. <laughs> You know what I love about the podcast? It's like I've known you since I was, I don't know how old, a kid. And I didn't remember or recall adoption. No, and to be honest, I don't talk about it at yeah. all. And, and mostly because people have this thing that it, it's like this big traumatic whatever. For me, it really wasn't. I was very clear from the beginning. It was like, everybody's fucking crazy. Yeah. And I'm out of here. Mine was, this is a movie and I'm not in it. Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Were you school person or street person? I went to Friends, so I and I had been going there since I was young. So, but I also was always super social, so I had friends all over and all different ages and all different I thought kinds. Friends, I thought Friends was a school. It was. I went to <laughs> oh, Friends Academy. Yeah, Qua- <laughs> anybody that lives in America knows of a Quaker school somewhere. It usually has Friends in the title. So I went oh. to a very kind of prestigious alternative school called Friends. Ah. So, you know, I kind of ended up in in the New York City scene by default, kind of left home, needed to work, and just dove right in, as well as still trying to, like, finish high school and all of that. And then even thought to go to college, but I got waylaid by by the nightlife. Did you come come from artistic background or was that something you just did where your your mom was successful you said was she in the art world or no 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 she was a garmenta when i was young she worked for this company called fabric leather i used to love that place and they were um a company that made faux leather that was obviously very popular in the 60s and 70s i have to be honest i think the reason i liked it is because the whole place smelled like chemicals but, um, yeah, because, I mean, it wasn't, like that, that? it wasn't that it was green. I mean, I love the smell of paper. They were just making the leather that you would then make couches, outfits, handbags, you know, all of that. Mm-hmm. When did you get down to the city? 83. I graduated early because at this point I was already, like... So you finished Friends, Living which is what, own. high school? No, I, I didn't finish Friends because when I emancipated myself, I left. And then I went back to school at, at the public school, but I was already working. I worked at a place called the Batcave. I worked at Danceteria. I worked for Annie Flanders as like a, uh, what do you call it? Like an office assistant. I did whatever job it took. And you're how old? Probably 15, wow. going on 16. 
Mm. I looked older then than I do now, pretty much, except for the gray hair. <laughs> you look the same as when I met you. <laughs> uh, when you you were running around and you're young and you're working in all these places, was there anyone that made a bigger influence than another? Is there anyone that gave you a sense of direction? Patricia Field, perfect example. I was obsessed with her for years. I kept trying to work there, and she kept telling me no. I mean, we're very, very good friends. What was but she, she was doing? Like, fashion. She was doing, she was Patricia Field. She had the number one store in the city on 8th Street at the time in the 80s. Yeah. She also probably owned half of the Jersey Shore. Mm -hmm. She's got a bunch of bars in the Jersey Shore. It's like big, just all around. She's just a businesswoman who yeah. also is like, was totally in the moment of New York City from probably what, the late 60s up until now. She's an icon. Mm -hmm. I mean, but there, you know, there were so many wonderful, amazing people in the city back then. I mean, you know, who? Diane Brill, John Sex, Keith Haring. Uh, Keith Cohen. Haring used to not know me and I was a little kid and I would walk up to him. It started at Flamingo East, a restaurant. I put a bar napkin in front of him and he drew me something and handed it to me. I had the nerve about a year later to give him a piece of paper on the street. He literally went down and he drew something on it. It's He was just... It was interesting. Like, I can't think of any artist that would tolerate some dumb kid handing him well, a piece that, of paper. Yeah, but he was coming from a very, very different place because the idea was to spread the work. I think I'm, I think also, I met Andy from Keith. I met William Burroughs from Keith. Andy Worrell? Mm -hmm. well, for those that don't Sorry. know what we're talking about. <laughs> you don't know who I mean by Andy. No, I'm just kidding. They might not. Um, <laughs> so I get accused. I'm somebody that gets accused of knowing a lot of people, and I'd have to throw that to you and say that you know a lot, lot of people. What do you think that is? It's just like just all these things you've done and places you've been. Yeah, I also think I'm very good at connecting. I look people in the eye. I'm very, um, I might not remember your name, but I'll never forget your face. And I think that um, that's, that's helped me sort of uh, navigate through many different kinds of communities. Right. I'm a very good mensch. I that's know. what it is. I'm you a matchmaker. Are. And it's usually very instinctual. Mm -hmm. Of course, I've never been able to like, you know, meet anybody myself or monetize on this gift that I have of putting people together, even for work. No, I get that. Where does the art world come into your life and all the artistic stuff? Is it just all commingling? I think because at the time, the art world and the club world were, and the restaurant world and that whole thing in the 80s and early 90s was all one and the same. And then I think being very close with Keith and Jean-Michel, Francesco Clemente, Kenny Scharf, um, Kiki Smith, like you name it, um, it was all very mixed. You know, back then you partied with everybody mm -hmm. at a nightclub like area or Palladium or any of that. You have all ages, sizes, colors. Half a Jersey would come in on the weekend just to dance. And it was the best. Did like, you 54 was, or was that before your time? 54 and its second. Remember when they got out of jail and then they came back and then they tried to kind of redo it for a second. So they had everybody that was working at Palladium kind of work there, too. Yeah. And I was the only one that didn't get fired in a big in, um, sting operation. The Ian Schrager and um, Steve, Rebell. Steve Rebell were recording the recording everybody at one point at the bars. So they they saw how everybody was stealing. I don't even remember that stuff. Yeah, they fired like 200 people and I ended up being one of the only, and I stayed actually because I had to, I think three of us were living together and we all worked there and they all got fired. So like somebody had to keep working. And then about a month later I left because 
then it just got crazy. When you see something like like Jean Michel 2019, the way the world acts, and then the relationship you knew, does that bug you out? What's your perspective on the way things have changed? Like just you know, there's nothing you can do about change. The problem is, is that people have create. You know, they base their knowledge on on like a Hollywood movie mm-hmm. or what you know. It's can't you know not only they're not look the art speaks for itself and that's what it should. Right. I think there's a lot of romanticizing about Jean Michel. I I mean he was a very good friend of mine. I loved him immensely. Fucking funny. Um, didn't like anybody <laughs> in that way. Like right. it was, it, you know. It's funny because, you know, all these mentions, but my relationship with him was that he was like one of Fred Sutherland's best friends. Why do I remember that name? He's, uh, he did um, Delicious Pizza. He bought up half of West Adams for anybody. Was he worked with Matt Dyke in them or no? Yeah, very, very close. Okay. He built out most of the Palladium for Steve Rebell and for Ian. That's how I met him. I actually met him. We were both on mushrooms at the opening of the Palladium. So he was a instant, designer, so to speak, or architect? I mean, he did everything. Mm-hmm. But when I think of Delicious, I thought of Mark Ross and, and Matt Dyke. Those Never the, remember. You think, you think those two could build a pizza place? <laughs> no. And put in a stove? No. <laughs> no. They could not do that. Yeah. Fred can. Yeah. When I was a little kid, we used to go enter the Dragon, which was following Power Tools, which was Matt's biggest biggest moment in the nightclub world. It was it superseded all the music stuff he was doing. Everyone really just wanted to go to Enter the Dragon. You know, yeah, I mean, I guess I met Matt when he was in New York and he would be around Fred. I met him from Fred and, and, yeah. and Steve and all of those guys. Just a perfect day Drink sangria in the park And then later When it gets dark, we go home Just a perfect day Feed animals in the zoo Then later, a movie too And then home Just keep me hanging on 
It sounds like it starts to, but it's not. You know, it's just like different things. No, I just, it's all about divine timing. Um, Back then I was doing parties and clubs and all of that. And I had this club called Juicy at the time. It was like mid 90s. And so maybe five years later, Belinda was, Belinda became pregnant. And we were at that point living together already probably eight eight or so years. Was she DJing or what's Belinda doing then? Then she was running the number one hip hop club. She had Cheetah. Okay. Yeah. And we lived together on Crosby Street. And so somebody had to stay home at night. You know, whatever. I'd done everything you could do in nightclubs. And quite frankly, that's when bottle service and all that crap just came in. And it kind of killed the whole vibe. And the only vibe I'm interested in is the dance floor anyway. And then everybody forgot to how to how to throw a party and everybody forgot how to dance and then it was just boring. So I was like, I need to get the fuck out of here. Mm-hmm. Cheetah was probably one of the last hurrahs. So I got out of nightclubs and started styling because I met Ellen Von Unworth. Didn't even know who she was. She decided to move to New York and she started coming to Juicy and a couple of clubs and we hung out and then I think I helped with locations and then she took my picture for something and that's how we kind of evolved and just she was like, you should be a stylist. And I was like, what's that? <laughs> no, me and Estevan, we would look at snaps like it was some form of a Bible. And you were there, right? This was like a fantasy book of ours. Yeah, uh, yeah I remember it. That was that. What I you mean, didn't know is like these guys over here, like Cartoon and Estevan, they had snaps. And we would look at this like this was some sort of like crazy Well, also, Estevan really project. loved a lot of her work because it was very black and white. And it had that same kind of snaps storytelling. Is where he yeah. was like, this lady, he didn't even know what her name was. And he was like, look at this book, homie. You know, and I was like, wow. Were you even in that book? I could have been, yeah. yeah. I'm, in a bu- I'm in a bunch of different, you know, you always fall. In. That's the nice thing about Ellen. Anybody can be in the picture. I don't care if you're over holding a lamp. Yeah. she's. I've never really officially met her, but she's always said hi and been nice to me in person. She probably knows I know somebody like you. She's always No, kind. she has no idea. She can't remember nice. one person from the other. She's just super nice. I love that about her. She'll take somebody's picture and three hours later be like, who's that? And I'm like, we just did a photo shoot with her. So it's really like once <laughs> she's behind the camera, she's really like just in the in the work, basically. Yeah. And it's a gift to her for her to be. It's also, you know, she has that magic. She knows how to set the room, mm-hmm. bringing in the right people. I don't feel putting, like I don't feel like it is what it was. I feel like not being mean to her, but the work I don't identify. I felt it like snaps. It, it can't be snaps what it, was so wonderful it's to because me. everything's changed. Nobody yeah. wants anything to be free in this and that. Yeah. nobody likes makeup anymore. They want the makeup to make them look like I'm not even going to go there. It doesn't yeah. matter. And if everybody knows the story, you know, your work has to evolve, but your work can't evolve if everybody else is standing still. Well said. Do clients kind of uh, ask you to tell you who they are, how much of you gets brought into the construction of a client? I I think, you know, first of all, I haven't done this in three years. I can talk about the method and what I did in that's my own experience. And all I'm saying is comparatively to what's going on now, it's a very different dynamic. I can't say, I feel that at the end of the day, what it used to be is you finding that thing in someone and being able to help them express it. 
Now it has nothing to do with that. So, yeah, how did that happen? Really, just, I don't think people want that to happen. They don't, they just want to make sure that they get on the red carpet and get the likes or get the whatever or get the job or get the whatever. When you approached it, you were attracted to something and you helped the person express it. That's kind of the the way you found the work. I just want to know, you know what I really, you... No, no, no. To be honest, I fell into it completely by accident. I had no idea what it was. I was making it up along the way because there were no, there was no such thing as celebrity styling. We kind of made that up. Right. And it was very hard in the beginning because nobody wanted to give anything to celebrities to begin with and especially not black celebrities. Right. But what I did know a lot about and just because I spent all my life watching movies and reading fashion magazines and and being very well aware. And my mom and her friends, they, they might have been a hot mess, but they were fucking chic. Mm-hmm. I know what style is. And that's, that's basically what it is now. It's just nobody's got any style. People just love to shop. They love to show that they're wearing this and they're wearing that. And it goes together and they got on their Gucci. But that shit don't mean shit. I don't even know. The peacocking alone is enough to make you just go like, guys, we got big problems. You had something interesting. You said uh, there wasn't really celebrity styling. And then I was going to ask you kind of about how streets and house work. So does the streets influence the house? The house try to bite the streets? How do you see that, like, in that whole fashion world? I Okay, so the street is not in fashion. It's street streetwear, all these companies. Fuck mm-hmm. you. You're not fashion. Sorry, you're streetwear. Mm-hmm. And just own it. Mm-hmm. Why do you want to come in and just fuck everything up, especially when fashion was so fucked up to begin with? You know, I think everybody needs to just, like, slow down. Mm-hmm. This is me being super judgy, me too. And I have to tell you, I'm just not entertained by any of it. And why does it cost so much? And it doesn't mean that the elite or the money get to have it. Those are the ones with the worst style. Like, style's missing. It's all about shopping. You've all been turned into fucking... If you you're all, you're all drinking the Kool-Aid. You can't even see it. And you're sitting around on your phone judging. Get the fuck <laughs> out of here. I couldn't agree more. The second we let anything called blogger into our mental existence is where everything fell apart. The fact that people think that we should all care about your opinion when you haven't gone to school, you haven't read a book and you don't know how to sew, shut the fuck up. You know, influencer, that's almost one of the most laughable things I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) And, you know, and and again, taking a word, influence, turning it into what you want and then making it mean something doesn't mean shit. And it's really disturbing to see how many people, and it's not about young people. You know, young people don't give a shit about social media anymore. Yeah. It's all of what's the saddest part are the 45-year-olds who now have like started drinking the Kool-Aid themselves and believe that all this shit's real. I can't believe that they unfriended me. I don't know why like nobody liked this picture. Like I just (laughs) filled my face with I don't know what because I don't look like that that I'm staring at. Yeah, get off that shit and stop looking at anything that doesn't make you feel good. And most especially, don't look at shit that makes you feel bad about yourself. I think that's going to be a very interesting thing that's going to happen in this next wave of young people. Because the coolest thing that's happening in New York right now is happening deep in Queens. These crazy clubs, whatever. It's not, they're not Instagramming it like crazy. Right. They're not, uh, they're not trying to get celebrities down there. They're not doing any of this shit that's sort of come up from our, as I like to call it, our Disney days. That's another time I knew we were in trouble when all the Disney kids became famous. I was Uh, like, we're fucked. When Britney Spears becomes the most famous person in the whole world, 
I mean, and you saw what happened, the result of that. And this sure. is nothing against Britney Spears. I actually really like her. Yeah. I'm just saying to create this kind of celebrityism that went on during that period, it was very toxic. And mm -hmm. I think now, I mean, now the the image of the, you know, upwardly mobile black woman is an ex stripper with fake tits, fake ass, fake nose, fake mouth. And I don't even need to name names. And it's not the point. I'm not talking about them as a person. Right. I'm talking about them in their, as they like to call it, their iconic positioning. It's a really scary place to think about a five-year-old little black girl thinking that that's what she should be aspiring to. It's fucking terrifying. Right, the influence of it. Terrifying. You will not be able to stay home, brother. You will not be able to plug in, turn on, and cop out. You will not be able to lose yourself on Skag and skip out for beer during commercials because the revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be brought to you by Xerox in four parts without commercial interruptions. The revolution will not show you pictures of Nixon blowing a bugle and leading a charge by John Mitchell, General Abrams, and Spiro Agnew to eat hog moths confiscated from the Harlem sanctuary. The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be brought to you by the shape of a war theater and will not star Natalie Woods and Steve McQueen or Bullwinkle and Julia. The revolution will not give your mouth sex appeal. The revolution will not get rid of the nub. The revolution will not make you look five pounds thinner because the revolution will not be televised, brother. There will be no pictures of you and Willie Mae pushing that shopping cart down the block on the dead run or trying to slide that color TV into a stolen ambulance. NBC will not be able to predict the winner at 8.32 on the court from 29 districts. The revolution will not be televised. There will be no pictures of pigs shooting down brothers on the instant replay. There will be no pictures of pigs shooting down brothers on the instant replay. There will be no pictures of Whitney Young being run out of Harlem on the rail with a brand new process. There will be no slow motion or still lights of Roy Wilkins strolling through Watts in a red, black, and green liberation jumpsuit that he has been saving for just the proper occasion. Acres, Beverly Hillbillies, and Hooterville Junction will no longer be so damn relevant, and women will not care if Dick finally got down with Jane on search for tomorrow, because black people will be in the street looking for a brighter day. The revolution will not be televised. There will be no highlights on the 11 o'clock news and no pictures of Harry R. Women Liberationist and Jackie Onassis blowing her nose. The theme song will not be written by Jim Webb or Francis Scott Key, nor sung by Glenn Campbell, Tom Jones, Johnny Cash, Engelbert Humperdinck, or The Rare Earth. The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be right back after a message about a white tornado, white lightning, or white people. You will not have to worry about a dove in your bedroom, the tiger in your tank, or the giant in your toilet bowl. The revolution will not go better with coke. The revolution will not fight germs that may cause bad breath. The revolution will put you in the driver's seat. The revolution will not be televised, will not be televised, will not be televised, will not be televised. The revolution will be no rerun, brothers. The revolution will be live. When I refer to the entertainment business or Hollywood or commercial work, I refer to it as the machine. My machine got me to really good things and really bad things, uh, addictions and struggles and, and uh, uh, ego and lack of ego. And uh, it gets me to a spiritual place where I learn a mantra, I meditate, I get a lot of time sober. 
and me and the machine start becoming less friends. And it's not bitter. It's not upset. It's just where I have to be. Like this. Oh, no, no, no. Mine was like, was super, not even bitter. I was angry. I was furious. I was maybe homicidal because it's very hard to see beauty disrespected. It's very hard to see creativity disrespected. It's really hard to see people like not respect each other. I mean, and especially in in something that should not only be creative, should be thoughtful, should be revered, should be handled with care. And we're just a bunch of Neanderthals. And that's saying something bad against, I think Neanderthals would have been, Upset. had a lighter touch. <laughs> You know, I, I... When did um, you see that raise his head more than ever in your um, life? I think it has a lot to do with social media and all that. I think it was the beginning of the end of good taste. Mm-hmm. Not to say that some people don't have good taste. Oh, I get it. But, and look, things are changing. And quite frankly, without all of this and without deciding to, to change the way I look at things and change my patterns and change my practice and open up to other ways of thinking and doing things, you know, I wouldn't be where I am right now, which is a whole lot happier mm-hmm. and also a whole lot older. Mm-hmm. Does spirituality come into your, is there, has it always been something with you? Cause you've always had a lot of magic. Yes. I've, I mean, spirituality, God, Jesus, all of it. I'm, I'm into all of it. I've seen, I've seen magic myself up close and personal. I felt it. It's, it's definitely, pretty much my whole focus, you know, to become the best person I can possibly become. And then in saying that, that means you have to help everybody that you can. Mm -hmm. What excites you nowadays? What's like, what's the excitement? So now what I do, Mm -hmm. if I, if I can say I do anything, although it's not quite a career, but it's definitely a shift and a movement is I work with people on releasing themselves from trauma, patterning, addiction, sexual addiction, using uh, natural plant and animal medicine. Wow. I also can, if, if needed, just take you on a psycho-spiritual journey using different plants, flowers, and different medicines and drums, rattles. Shit, I think I have some bells in my house. Do you do the uh, crystals or the no. sound baths? Or- you know... I'm not a burning man person. Mm -hmm. I'm not a like, I'm not a women's circle kind of woman. I do believe that a lot of circling needs to be happening, but I think it should be a family circle at this point because we got to fucking save each other. What is women's circling? Women coming together and discussing women issues. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, I support it and I sent, you know, and I'll, I'll help in any way I can. I'm not, it's not usually my thing. When someone comes to you with like a trauma, how do you, what do you do? What are the steps that you work on? You start with it what? Could, it, it could be anything. First, you start with talking uh-huh. and figuring out if you're even, if you're a match to even be working together, feeling each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, there's a whole lot of stuff that goes on, but I mean. That's fascinating. Yeah. How long have you been doing it? I've been doing it for, I've been at, this, I've had this experience. It's been, I've been going through it for three years. And so I've been doing this alone for a year. Tell me what the, what do you mean you've been having this experience? I went back to the old me, the, the, the true me. Mm-hmm. Do you believe in Saturn returns and that, that kind of stuff? <laughs> <laughs> no? I mean, yeah. Um, I say this all the time. Never say never. Because the second you don't believe, something will prove you wrong. Right. Or it won't Plus, come and say hi to you. Plus, belief is like the most... 
liberating, kind of a liberating emotion. When you believe you can breathe easier. I mean, obviously breathing is everything. What are you going to do today? Where are you going I'm next? I'm going to go breathe. Uh, next, I'm <laughs> what going to breathe. And I'm not, even, I'm not even kidding. We do breath work a lot before going into ceremony. Do you do breath of fire? No. no. I mean, I appreciate a good kundalini moment. More holotropic. I mean, I'm not jumping into any ice water at the moment. I have done mm-hmm. the Wim Hof method. But um, I think that your breath is everything. And I think most people are not breathing fully. And quite frankly, if we all started fully breathing, not only would we be able to heal ourselves, we'd start healing each other. Mm. Tell me a quick exercise for breath. Do you Every do time you're about up, to react down. to something, mm-hmm. breathe three times and then react. The method that I like is three breaths all through the mouth, mm-hmm. two inhales first into the stomach, then the heart, then release. It's a life changer. Well, we love you and we're happy you came all the way out to talk to us today. It was a good show. In your bachelor pad. In my bachelor pad that needs fin shui. Oh my God. I'm going to have to move out before it moves over me. And that brings us to the end of my conversation with Lisa. I'm going to go learn some breathing techniques. I'm just so happy that the world still has Lisa Coopers. And I can't wait to see her again. Thanks for listening. Satellites gone up to the skies Things like that drive me out of my mind I watched it for a little while I like to watch things on TV Satellite of love Satellite's gone way up to Mars Soon it'll be filled with park and cars I watched it for a little while I love to watch things on TV With Harry, Mark, and John Monday and Tuesday, Wednesday to Thursday With Harry, Mark, and John Satellites gone up to the skies Things like that drive me out of my mind it for a little while I love to watch things on TV
Satellite of love Satellite